Hello and welcome to History with Jackson. Today we continue the English and British monarch series and we continue by looking at Richard III's usurper, the victor of the Battle of Bosworth, Henry Tudor, Henry VII. As always, we will look at who he was, what his early life was like, what his reign was like, his death, and then bring that all together to make a judgement on whether he was a good king or not. So, without further ado, let's learn about Henry VII. Henry VII was born on the 28th of January 1457 at Pembroke Castle to Margaret Beaufort and Edmund Tudor. Edmund predeceased the birth of Henry by three months, so was not present at all during his life. Henry's royal blood came from his mother, Margaret Beaufort, who was the great-granddaughter of Edward III. This gave Henry a very small claim to the throne. Henry, as he grew up, grew to be a tall and slender, fair man, but also a very intelligent, clever man. So what was Henry's early life like? Now Henry was not born to become king. He was not born to become the head of the Lancastrian cause. He was born to inherit the Tudor estates in Wales. As Edmund had predeceased the birth of Henry, Margaret and Henry were placed under the guardianship, the protectorship of Edmund's brother, Jasper Tudor. It was important for Margaret to be placed under protection as she was only 13 when she gave birth to Henry. And this was even seen as an unusually young age for someone to give birth in this period. And people definitely thought ill of Edmund for getting a 12 or a 13 year old pregnant at this point. With Henry and Margaret under Jasper's protection, they were looked after and well provided for. But with the rise of Edward IV to the throne, Jasper, as a leading Lancastrian figure, went into exile in Europe and Edward IV assigned William Herbert as the guardian of Margaret and Henry. With the re-adaption of Henry VI in 1470, Jasper Tudor returned to England. He returned to Henry's court, bringing with him Henry Tudor. But this was a short-lived return to England, as in 1471, Edward reclaimed the throne for himself. Jasper, in reaction, to Edward's return to the throne, took Henry with him back into exile on mainland Europe. With the death of Henry VI and Prince Edward at the Battle of Tewkesbury, Henry Tudor became one of the key Lancastrian candidates for the throne. But it looked like the Yorkist and King Edward IV weren't going to go anywhere, and Margaret Beaufort entered negotiations with King Edward IV to allow Henry Tudor to return to England to claim his land and his titles. But this all changed in 1483 with Richard III's usurpation of his nephew, Edward V, and his very harsh start to his own personal reign. Richard saw Henry Tudor 
as a threat and Henry decided to stay in Europe so as not lose his own life. Elizabeth Woodville, Edward IV's widow, did not like Richard III as Richard had executed most of her family and she herself entered negotiations with Margaret Beaufort to try and arrange the marriage of Henry Tudor and her daughter Elizabeth of York. This proposed marriage would tie together the Yorkist and the Lancastrian families but it would only occur if Henry took the throne for himself. Henry announced this betrothal and his intent to take the English throne on Christmas Day 1483 at Vaughan Cathedral in Brittany. However, in early 1483, there were renewed friendly relations between the Bretons and the English and it became a dangerous place for Henry Tudor to reside. And instead, he took to France and he resided within the French King's court for protection and safety. And in the French King's court, Henry even began to refer to himself as the King of England. The French King Charles VIII supported and funded Henry Tudor's efforts to take the English throne. And in the summer of 1485, Charles lended Henry a substantial sum of money to invade England to begin his own effort to take the throne. As we mentioned last week, Henry's invasion was prompted by Elizabeth Woodville's negotiations with Richard to leave sanctuary so that she could be clear that she would not be punished or harmed when entering Richard's England from sanctuary. And on the 7th of August 14, 85, Henry Tudor and his uncle Jasper Tudor landed in Wales. They knew they would be safe in Wales as this was their land, their ancestral home. They were also acutely aware that a lot of their supporters came from Wales. Henry marched through Wales carrying various forms of his family's heraldry. And in particular, he carried the red Welsh dragon on a green background. This helped to bring the Welsh people, the Welsh soldiers and knights to his cause to take on Richard in battle. And on the 17th of August, Henry reached Shrewsbury. At this point, Henry felt he had a sizable enough army to take on Richard. He even had the Earl of Oxford within his ranks and he marched deeper into the Midlands and on the 22nd of August the two sides met at Margaret Bosworth just outside of Leicester. They camped overnight facing each other and in the morning they took to the field and the battle began. It was a particularly gruesome and long slog of a battle. The two sides were so evenly matched, but Richard, the capable general and soldier, had found a moment where he himself could go attack Henry Tudor and show his firm grasp over his kingdom that he was God's anointed ruler 
of England. And the battle hardened, the battle seasoned Richard attacked the fresh commander, Henry Tudor. He took his own cavalry unit and charged towards Henry. But Henry's stepfather, Lord Stanley, saw that his own stepson was about to be attacked and possibly killed in this charge and he sent his own soldiers into the battle. Around 3,000 soldiers joined the battle on Henry Tudor's side and within this charge of the Stanley soldiers, Richard died. With Richard dead, Henry was now King of England and Lord Stanley King Maker. Allegedly, Lord Stanley found Richard III's crown and placed it on Henry's head and proclaimed him King of England to all there present at the battle. But Henry amended the date of which his reign began to be the day before the Battle of Bosworth, as was the precedent set by previous usurpers. He did this so that he could claim anyone who fought against him at the Battle of Bosworth was a traitor and that they could be punished via the punishment for treason. Henry immediately set about consolidating his position and solidifying his position as king. On the 30th of October 1485, Henry was coronated as king at Westminster Abbey. He also handsomely rewarded some of his closest supporters, such as Jasper Tudor and Lord Stanley. Henry also compensated and rewarded his mother for all of the effort and support she had given him throughout the years. And she was given, as Dan Jones calls, a demi-queen status. All the power and the prestige of a queen consort without the title. And she even starred herself as Margaret R. later on in her life. After this, Henry sought to combine the families of York and Lancaster and follow through with the betrothal that his mother and Elizabeth Woodville had arranged. And he and Elizabeth of York were married in January 1486. But before they could be married, Henry repealed the act, Titulus Regius, that made Elizabeth Woodville's children illegitimate, so that Elizabeth of York was a legitimate child of a rightful monarch when Henry married her. Very shortly after Henry and Elizabeth's marriage, Elizabeth fell pregnant and gave birth to a baby boy. Prince Arthur in September 1486. The birth of Prince Arthur solidified Henry's position as it gave him an heir so that he could have a peaceful transfer of power after his death. Henry and Elizabeth sought to draw the Tudor dynasty, their family, closer to England's national history by naming their son after King Arthur. This would also show that he was the rightful ruler 
of England after Henry's death. Arthur was also set up with his own household and his own titles to make him financially independent from Henry. And he was made Prince of Wales and Earl of Chester. The birth of Arthur was followed by the birth of Princess Margaret in 1489, the spare to the heir with Prince Henry in 1491, and finally the birth of Princess Mary in 1496. With Henry and Elizabeth having four legitimate children, it strengthened the Tudor dynasty. It gave them possibilities to marry their daughters into other royal families to strengthen the Tudor family's power and security across Europe. But it also gave them a male heir and a spare just in case anything happened to Prince Arthur. As a usurper, Henry had to deal with many threats to his throne. And many of these threats came from pretenders, people who were pretending to be people who they weren't. And many of these pretenders pretended to be people who had a stronger claim to the throne than Henry himself. The first of these pretenders was Lambert Simnel. Simnel and his supporters claimed that he was the son of George, Duke of Clarence, Edward, the Earl of Warwick. And they even had him crowned in Dublin in 1487 as Edward VI of England. And he was supported by Richard III's sister, Margaret of Burgundy, and Richard's heir, John de la Pole, Earl of Lincoln. Henry saw this pretender and his army as a major threat to his throne. And he paraded the real Edward, Earl of Warwick, around London to prove that this pretender was not who he claimed to be. And Henry had had Edward, Earl of Warwick, in his possession as a prisoner for a number of months at this point. And in June 1487, Simnel and his supporters invaded England. And Henry Tudor met this force at the Battle of Stoke. Henry VII's army ripped through this pretender's army of German mercenaries. And within the battle, Lincoln was killed, removing the threat that he posed to the throne. Instead of executing everyone involved in this claim. Henry instead pardoned the Irish lords who supported the claim and he brought Simnel into the royal household as a servant so that he could keep him under a close watch and Simnel behaved well and rose through the ranks in the royal household and never again was a problem for Henry VII. In 1490, another pretender emerged, and this time it was Perkin Warbeck. Warbeck pretended or claimed to be Richard, Duke of York, 
Edward V's brother, who allegedly died with Edward in the Tower of London. Warbeck was supported by some of England's most bitter enemies. France and Margaret of Burgundy were two of these key supporters. The French king used Warbeck as a pawn in his game to annex Brittany and to bring Brittany under French control and influence. Henry Tudor did not like this idea of Brittany being under French influence as England and Brittany had close relations. Henry VII amassed an army and went to invade France to protect English interest in Brittany. As part of an agreement, as part of a treaty, the French did not want an escalation in tensions and instead paid off the English to prevent any invasion. As part of this agreement, they were also to stop supporting Perkin Warbeck. Perkin moved on into the court of Margaret of Burgundy and her husband, the Holy Roman Emperor. Here, he styled himself as King Richard IV of England and he mounted a failed invasion of Kent. With his failure in Kent, Warbeck travelled to Scotland through Ireland and King James of Scotland brought him under his protection. King James protected and supported Warbeck as a means of irritating the English and he even attacked the north of England on behalf of Warbeck. Henry attempted to invade Scotland as punishment for these actions and punishment for supporting Warbeck but he could not raise the taxes to fund this war and the Cornish were one group who did not want to pay this tax and did not support the raising of an army. Warbeck then decided to invade England through Cornwall, thinking that he would have a substantial amount of support there. He amassed a small army once he landed and went to lay siege to Exeter. This siege failed dramatically and he was pushed back to Taunton and eventually captured here. Henry, yet again in a conciliatory move, brought Warbeck into his court so he could keep a keen eye on him. Warbeck did not behave like Simnel had in Henry's household and instead tried to escape twice. He was then moved to the Tower of London to prevent any further chances and possibilities of him escaping. In 1499, a plot was uncovered that sought to break both Warbeck and Edward Earl of Warwick out of the Tower of London and place Warwick on the throne as the true Yorkist king. Henry then decided to put an end to the threat that the Earl of Warwick was and to put an end to the threat that Warbeck posed and he had them both executed in 1499. For some, the death of Warwick and Warbeck spelled the end of the Wars and the Roses. For others, it's the capture of Warbeck and Taunton. For some, it's the failed siege at Exeter. For others, it is the victory 
by Henry Tudor at the Battle of Stoke. And for many, the end of the Wars of the Roses was with Henry's victory and Richard's defeat at the Battle of Bosworth. All of these have legitimate claims to be the end of the Wars of the Roses. But nonetheless, from this point, we can see a strong and secure Henry VII and the beginning of a Tudor dynasty, plagued no longer by external threats. But in 1502, the Tudor dynasty faced an internal threat to its future with the death of Prince Arthur. It's thought that Arthur died from the English sweating sickness. Arthur's death left Henry with only one heir, his second son, Prince Henry, Duke of York. And Prince Henry was very quickly invested and elevated to Arthur's titles to secure his position as the heir to Henry's throne. The following year, in 1503, Henry secured his northern border with Scotland by arranging the marriage of Princess Margaret and King James of Scotland. Domestically, Henry successfully managed a bankrupt kingdom by extracting as much tax from the nobility as he possibly could. However, after his death, there were found to be abuses in this system by the people who collected the money and sometimes the nobles. Henry also successfully overturned bastard feudalism. The feudal system was a system that England had been based around. It saw the king at the top, the nobles underneath, the knights below them and the peasantry below them. But under bastard feudalism, the nobles had become more powerful than the king. And Henry managed to curtail their power and set his position as king, as king above his subjects. One way that he did this was to pass an act of livery and maintenance. Livery was showing your house colours on your servants and maintenance was having servants. The nobles at this time were bringing too many male servants who were capable of fighting into London with their own livery displayed. Some were even passing this as a chance to bring their own personal army around with them. Henry curtailed their ability to do this, setting his power and position above them. Henry also re-established the Star Chamber, which was a legal court which circumvented the normal legal system. It allowed Henry and his Privy Council to deal with legal issues or serious issues before the courts could deal with them. This allowed Henry to dispense justice as and when and how he pleased. Henry also increased the number of justices of the peace that were in England. Justices of the peace were essentially police officers of the medieval period and they maintained law and order and made sure that new acts of parliament were followed and established in the community. 
From 1495 onwards with the death of Jasper Tudor, many of Henry's allies and close friends began to pass away and he began to feel more and more isolated and this affected his mental health and his capabilities to govern. Two key events that took a major blow to Henry were the death of Prince Arthur in 1502 and the death of Elizabeth of York in 1503. Henry and Elizabeth apparently loved each other very deeply and Henry never took a mistress and he never married again after Elizabeth's death. He allegedly sobbed for days after her death. He became increasingly isolated and withdrawn from public life after her death. From this point, Henry began to get sick and progressively got worse through the rest of his reign. And eventually in 1509, Henry scumbered to TB, tuberculosis at Richmond Palace, leaving his remaining son, Prince Henry, Prince of Wales, as his heir. Was Henry a good king? Now, I think, yes, I think Henry was a good king. He fulfilled the basic duties of kingship. He protected his nation from invasions. He produced an heir and despair to ensure the continuation of his dynasty. He successfully maintained law and order within England and he made sure that his nation was rich enough to navigate any issues that may arise. However, it's important to remember that as Henry grew increasingly isolated and his number of close supporters dropped, he started to create a culture of fear that allowed him to maintain his position. He apparently also started to use methods that had not been seen since the time of Richard II to maintain his position. If we remember, Richard II was a tyrant and he was so tyrannical that the nobles felt that he needed to be overthrown. If Henry is using methods that Richard II used, it is possible to say that in the later years of Henry's reign, he was acting as a tyrant. But I still believe that he was a good king as he fulfilled those basic duties of kingship and successfully managed England and recovered England from the position that it had been in under Richard III. Thank you very much for watching and or listening guys, I'd really appreciate it. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the English and British Monarch series. As always, I'd like to recommend a couple of books for you guys to go away and read and learn more on the subject of Henry VII. So firstly is Gwyn's Kings and Queens of England, a guide to the indispensable history of England and her monarchs, a really good sailing guide to the English monarchy, great little fact files and key events of every single monarch. So I recommend that one. And finally 
is just the masterful Dan Jones's The Hollow Crown. I just think it's an absolutely fantastic book and I've relied upon it for my War of the Roses knowledge for the best part of probably about five, six years now. So I fully recommend this book. Um, in the meantime, guys, if you want to keep up to date with everything History of Jackson related, please head to the social media links in the description below or head to my website, which is www.historyofajackson.co.uk. Join us next week where we will look at Henry VIII. Thank you very much for watching, guys. Please make sure that if you liked or enjoyed this episode to leave a like or a review. It really helps History of Jackson grow and meet new audiences. So thank you very much, guys. I really appreciate it, and I'll see you next week.